0: Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is Talk Clean to Me. I'm your host, Joe Karen.
1: And I'm Chloe Holzinger.
0: And today we are sitting down with, um, oh my God, I'm blanking.
2: <laughs> and uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Oh My God, I'm blanking. We're, um, we're an organization uh, that likes it, to erase... It?
0: Fit Pipe? Proper
2: Pipe. Proper Pipe. You guys got to excuse me this morning.
0: Uh, we are sitting down today uh, with Proper Pipe. If you guys could go ahead and introduce yourselves.
2: How you doing? I'm uh, Ruben Mako, CEO and founder of Proper Pipe.
3: Hello, I'm Abel Jimenez. I'm the business development manager for Proper Pipe.
0: Great. Thanks very much for joining us today, guys. Um, so I'm going to started off a little differently, I think, today. Rather than jumping right into the technology, uh, we have something a little unique here for the podcast. We were talking about this earlier. Um, a lot of the folks we've been talking to started with a solution and were looking for the right problem that they could solve. But you guys came at it from the other way, it sounds like. You had a problem, and you wanted to put your heads together and find the right solution. So can we start with the problem? Like, what what was it that inspired this?
2: Sure, sure. I'll, I'll talk about it, because um, essentially... Uh our, our technology actually centers around piping and uh, jointing uh, pipes. And I was joining uh, pipes in Iceland some many years ago. So while I was installing this in extreme conditions in, uh, in Iceland, um, we would find there was a lot of problems as in users that were not really with, in line with the manual. So ultimately, we were, we were installing a network of pipes that had hundreds of joints in it. And when you're done with the hundreds of joints, you're, you're supposed to pressure test those hundreds of joints with with uh, ditches open. There was a what uh, a, a project management team out of Germany. That uh, the project manager came, project manager came over and he looked at the the uh, site and right when we're supposed to pressure test. He goes, "We're going to skip the pressure test. Wow. I've calculated the risks. Close the ditches, and that's what he did. And so we closed the ditches. Well, people closed the ditches. I was a small part of the chain. And after they close the ditches, everybody's looking, like, confused at each other, like, you know, what's what's this guy doing? So we move on to the next section, which is however many more more hundreds of joints. And when they open up that first section, leaks everywhere. And they have to pull equipment and machinery off of that new section that they're working on to go back and dig and find the problems in the original section Mm -hmm. and fix it again. Loss of a lot of money, millions of dollars. It's fine. So they move back onto that second section and they finish it. And the project manager comes out again. He goes, I've calculated the risks, closed the ditches. What? Three times in a row this happened, and he got bit all three times. All three times. We're looking at it and say, wait, isn't there a better way to go about this? And that's when we started to put our heads together and say, can we come up with a solution to this problem? And if we could, we already know the application.
1: So were you two already working together on that initial project or did you meet later than that?
3: Ruben and I go way back. Ruben and I uh, know each other over 20 years and uh, it, it, uh, it just so happens that uh, um, we are we're very very close friends and then we just kind of went our own separate ways and over the years I have gained uh, you know Coincidentally or, or, you know, just the way it happens, the right level of expertise that actually complements the applications and the company that he has today. So when he contacted me and told me about his company and what he's doing, I said, I know exactly what you're doing. I'm actually in that industry. And, um, you know, which is something that uh, we should probably talk about is, you know, the Leveraging of the, your network, leveraging the relationships that, um, that you have, and leveraging the relationships of the people that you know, especially in a startup, are very, very critical. So when um, he came over and, and started talking to me about his company, Proper Pipe, and, and the solutions that he's got, I said, you know, this sounds very, very intriguing, and I think you have something special here. Uh, and that's when we uh, discussed the opportunity for me to be part of the organization.
1: Yeah. dream team
0: <laughs> yeah so it sounds like uh, with your expertise you guys all complement each other very well are there other ways that you guys complement each other your skill yeah, sets
2: I, I, I actually wanted to jump on that when, when Abel was talking about it because we always talk it's about the team and, and you know I, I'd like those who are listening now who are, are involved in a startup or, or getting really early on to adding more to their team mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's what everybody brings to that, that team and one of the things that we're not Always aware of is language. Hmm. There's a language in business and academia and in industry and all these things, and it's it all sounds like English, but it's it's very different. <laughs> um, and so, w- when we brought Abel on board, the, f- the funny thing about Abel is I sort of outlined to to Yon, my my partner, um, that Abel speaks GE or General Electric E's if you want to call it that, and Schneider E's speaks that language where, where we don't really speak that. And even a, a, another member we brought on to, to, to our team is a, a, an extended member, uh, Pat Bench, out of Benchmark Strategies Government Relations. Um, he did a lot of government relations with us, and when we go into meetings with him, yeah, he's speaking English, but when we speak English to, to the governments, it's like they don't understand us. I but know exactly he's saying, what you mean. Right, but he's right. He's the right guy. Speaks the 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 right terminology, and so the the members of your team that their background is also their language, and being able to leverage that is something that not not every startup figures out right away. You end up going with a sales guy into you know, into a government meeting, and you end up losing that contact. That's, that's, and I think that's that's a key point right there, and I'll, I'll sort of jump on it for anyone who's who's trying to grasp on to what it is. Don't bring a sales guy to a government meeting and have him try to sell. Don't do. Sounds that. Sounds like
0: you might be talking from experience. Um, yes. Well,
2: go ahead. Go ahead. Go I, ahead. I, oh, I'll, 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 I'll I'll I'll. So chime so, in. so so, so uh, uh, there's something I'll, I I I referred to as a sales war cry, and. Uh, <laughs> When we first brought Abel on, we Pat and, and had set up a meeting. We were going to deal with some government uh, meeting, and um, and we're having sitting there having the conversation. And, and uh, Pat's on my left, and he's talking the whole time. He's he's running the meeting. And I'm listening to Pat, Yon's listening to Pat. We all know what Pat's saying and why he's saying it. We know when we're gonna be keyed in. What we don't notice is Abel on my right, he's losing his mind because he can't believe the crap that is coming out of Pat's <laughs> mouth that is not getting to the point and not resulting in, in the, 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 the let's say the, the, I don't I don't wanna no, use so, result again.
3: Yeah, go so so I, I used to be in sales uh, for my first half of my career Mm -hmm. right and sales guys are you go into a meeting with an objective and that's to get a sale Mm. or at the very minimum certain type of commitment Mm. right so how do you deal with the government is very different than how you deal with corporations Mm -hmm. and as patrick is talking to these government officials they're establishing a relationship and establishing, you know, credibility and doing all these things. And, and I'm here shaking like a, a chick full of coffee, right? Because I'm, I'm dying. I'm like, well, where, where is the commitment? Where is the number of units? Where is the pricing? Where is, you know, how, how long
2: is this going to take? And I jump in, right? And, he, and uh, uh, he jumps in and makes a sales war cry. <laughs> And he took over. He just jumped out and said stuff. And me, Pat, and Joan just put our heads in our hands like, what the? <laughs> and, and Abel felt so proud of himself. Like, I was able to steer the ship in the right direction. Right. And we walk out Saving of that. The day. Yeah, right, same right. the day. We walk out of there. <laughs> and and, and uh, Abel's like, ah, smiling happy on cloud nine. And me and y'all are like, what the F did you just do? <laughs> what? What did we? we what? And then uh, afterwards, yeah. He didn't, he, yeah, he had to learn the hard way. But that's when you learn by experience right there. Oh, yeah. That's so, when you learn by no, experience. Don't get me wrong. Some of the skills that I
3: do have have worked very well in other situations. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is not, this is, this is a, an example where it did not go well, but it is a good example to, to communicate for startups to let them know that they're individuals that have that experience and that expertise in those separate industries. And it is very hard to have those individuals cross industries and be successful, let those guys do what they do. You know That's why we have a government relations person. So yeah, talking
0: the right language to the right people, using the right tools on your team to do that in the right way, all very important. And also a, a live and learn kind of thing too. I think you kind of just have to learn by doing with stuff like that. Cool, um, did you have anything, Chloe, for the next question?
1: No, I'm okay. I'm good. Cool.
0: So I wanted to ask, a, you know, uh, a broad question about, you know, your journey to becoming entrepreneurs. You know, were you always entrepreneurially minded? Did you always consider yourself an entrepreneur? Is this your first kind of outing? Uh, can you talk talk about that process a little bit?
3: Do you want me to go for
2: that? Yeah, I think you should. No, what I think we should do is just keep bobbling the ball back and forth so he has to edit out a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think Ruben has been an entrepreneur all of, all of his life. Oh, yeah. He thinks so. That's because he's known me for half of it. <laughs> um, no, no I, oddly enough, sure, I have been, but I didn't know it, mm-hmm. right? You Sometimes you don't know um, where you're going to go career-wise in life. What I did always know is I love solving problems. Mm-hmm. And so I did things always sort of hands-on throughout my life. I have had jobs as a locksmith, as an auto mechanic, uh, residential construction, commercial construction, because I always wanted to know how those things worked. Um, And whenever I was in those jobs, I always ended up in the, the position of having to solve the unique problems that nobody else could solve. And for me, that was always rewarding and fun, but that was sort of the end of it, you know? When I stepped away from that, I just wanted to do something just completely off the wall different. There's a reason why, I'm probably not going to explain it here, but there was a reason why. And so I went and I went to go do something off the wall different, I said, let's start a company. And I actually ran around to a bunch of my friends, you want to start a company, you want to start a company, you wanna, what do you want to start? Anything, I don't care. It doesn't matter, anything, I don't care. And I uh, ended up um, hooking up with uh, my, my partner, Yon. And, um, we started this company, and after I got into it, I go, wait, wait a second. This is what I should have been doing the whole time. This is what I should have been doing my whole life. And what's funny is I don't think I could have done it without Yon. I can't do it without Yon. I'll put it that way. The third wheel in a conversation between me and Yon ends up with a flat tire usually. But me and Yon, we just sail through with a solution as rapid as possible. And and it's it's never about feelings. And that's the other thing about, you know, working with your team is, Work is work, it's, it's not emotional, nothing can be personal. It's about getting, getting to that goal.
3: That's something that actually uh, I experienced at the beginning of you know, joining the team. Uh, you have to separate the relationship that you have with the team and look at it from a professional perspective. And that's really, really hard to do, especially when maybe you have been friends with that individual, right? You were my friend, (laughs) (laughs) and um, there is—you have to be open, you have to be um, willing to take criticism, and open to that in a different way than you would from a friend. Hmm. And having that mix is not easy. You have to separate those and understand that okay, this is this is something that. Is feedback in order to progress the organization, and is in order to move us forward in this particular area. But when you're friends with that individual, it comes out like, "Hey, you're you're hurting me, or you know, you're making fun of me, or whatever it is." And especially for startups, usually they're made from colleagues or um, you know people that are going to school together and they have are friends and they they start this co- company together. That. Uh, feedback may be hurtful and it could hurt the the team uh, and you have to be able to separate that the friendship with that professional uh, mindset and goal achievement you know it's just like uh you know the, the uh a great singing team right that you know grows up together and then they start to have all kinds of fights and then the the, the singing. Child. yeah yeah stuff mm-hmm. like that right similar right they're all friends, but they're all working together, and there is all kinds of conflicts, and it, same thing with a startup, right? You just need to make sure that you communicate well and that uh, you respect each other and you know, set some ground rules from, from the very beginning. Mm. That's
0: great advice, yeah. Uh, Abel, did you want to say a little more about your journey of becoming an entrepreneur? Um, in particular, I'd like to, so is your role now at the company more technical, or are you still on like the sales side of things? Uh,
3: well, in, when you're an entrepreneur and when you're in a startup, you have, you basically do everything, right? <laughs> yeah. You're you're the the person who are representing the company when you're speaking with individuals. So you have to make sure that you use the right language, and you're also mopping the floor and picking up the trash and doing everything right. So it's you are you're, you're doing everything. Um, in from from my perspective, uh, I'm more focused on the uh, marketing side. Okay of the organization. And when my role is business development, mm-hmm. marketing is a small part of that because we're small right now. The majority of my role is getting us into or in front of those individuals that can provide us either partnerships or future customers. That is, that is my role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In respects to entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. I believe that human beings as a race are entrepreneurs from the very beginning, from you know the rocket, the the Middle Ages, you know even you know the, how the wheel was created, how fire was created. I think it's in us. The difference between some entrepreneurs and other people that are not called entrepreneurs is taking risks, the amount of risk that you are willing to take, or how much you want something, because. If you take a look at the definition of an uh, entrepreneur is creating something new, meeting a need that you have. I mean, um, mothers do this every single day. Mm -hmm. They figure out things. They figure out how to do things with very little, Mm -hmm. right? I consider them entrepreneurs. So I believe that we're all entrepreneurs internally. It's just how we project that and how we go about it. Mm. Uh, But it wasn't until proper pipe that I said, This is what I was born to do. You know, the fact that I'm not only taking the skills that I have gained over the years, but also my passion towards, you know, making this world a cleaner world, a more sustainable world, mixing those two is what motivates me. And for entrepreneurs that are starting on this, they've probably heard it millions of times. Find something that you're passionate about and you won't work a day in your life. It's true, because I've worked a lot. I've given a lot of myself to GE, Schneider Electric, and other companies in the past. I've given, from other people's perspective, so much to prop a pipe, but I don't feel that way, right? And you're willing to do much, much more
2: I don't feel that way either. I'm still waiting for you to give us something to proper pipe.
0: <laughs>
2: well, that's, that's a good CEO. <laughs> that's a good CEO. Um, that, you
3: know, it's, it's, uh, it's about the passion. And when you have the passion, you just do so much more. And having that type of individual be part of your team is very important as a startup. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking to expand your team, Make sure that you really, really do your due diligence on that individual and make sure that they're passionate about what you're doing because you can teach them the skills. You can't teach them the passion. Make sure that they're passionate, even as passionate or more passionate than you are.
1: Well, so it sounds like you guys are... Definitely international. Yon is in Iceland, and
2: I live in Iceland myself.
1: You live in Iceland. It was very difficult to get both of you together at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe yes. we pulled
2: that off. No. it worked
1: yeah. out. But so, how do you how do you manage that? How do you communicate over those time differences um, over the? Culture differences of living in Iceland versus living in Boston, Massachusetts?
2: Okay, so that, that, I'll, I'll tackle that first. Culture difference of living in Iceland versus Boston. I was born in Boston. Boston's my home. You can't get that out of my heart. It's going to be there forever. I don't have that strong Boston accent now because I, I live out in Iceland. But when I'm out in Iceland and somebody cuts me off in traffic, you better believe <laughs> I sound like the worst Bostonian accent you've ever, oh. But we all just communicate just digitally for the most part. Yeah. So As long as everybody on the team does what they're supposed to do, when they said they're gonna do it, everything works well. And that's what happens with us. <laughs> trust. Trust. Right. You wanna ask the story time questions, Chloe? It's about that I time. actually
1: have one more question Go about internationalism. Um, so we learned about you guys through events at Newen and Cleantech Open. Mm. By the way, congratulations congratulations on being finalists for Cleantech Open Northeast. But so, as an international company, do you only apply to Boston um, competitions like that? Or do you also apply to Iceland competitions? What are the Iceland competitions that are out there?
2: There are Iceland competitions. There's, there's Startup Iceland. There's Startup Reykjavik. There's a, there's a bunch of those. Uh, none of them attractive for us. Um, Iceland is, is a small market. Um, it's where we started because that's where... We had the connections with the university. We had uh, connections with a lot of uh, 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 machine shops and technical know-how people and and project people who've worked with this. So we had uh, all that groundswell of information that is people who are familiar with using it, as, as we are too, but you work in groups getting that information and packaging it into something that you could do something with and then say, well, where do we take this? And we look and... You look at boston Boston has a wonderful technology cluster for especially around water water new England water innovation network mass cs water division everybody everybody knows each other even within the government the um, amount of people who know each other is so well linked that there's it 's not like us versus them over here it 's a we type situation here in 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 the northeast and the other part of the of the puzzle is this this material this product is now. Making its way into the United States, it's been infiltrating us for a while. Where for water pipes here, we're, we're uh, ductile iron. We've been using it for years. Boston's infrastructure—you've heard it a million times—it's old, it's outdated. <laughs> Everybody says, "Hey, you know, pipe the uh, pipes in Boston. There's some of them that are still made of wood." Like there is, you know. ever yeah, yeah. And so many people back that up, but one of our um, one of the people on our team are uh, uh, on the uh, legal side. Um, they have connections to uh, plumbing companies and they actually just recently pulled out a section of of that wooden pipe wow. and kept it as a souvenir it 's like I want it I want it I want to have it I want to show it to people say look this is real it 's true here it is here 's the pipe look at it this is what brings it into your house you 're worried about running the water for fifteen seconds because those copper pipes in your house you got to get that you got to get the water through and get to the stuff that 's outside your house where it's it 's less yeah but it's it 's old rusty pipes out there, the infrastructure. It's old, yes, asbestos pipes, and it's even wooden pipes that, it, that our water is sitting in on its journey from the Quabbin Reservoir to our taps. So, yeah, it's a, sort of an interesting thing. You,
3: you mentioned the international part. Uh, as a business development uh, manager, I look at opportunities that will benefit the organization. And if uh, I, I pass those opportunities to Ruben and to Yon and to say, hey, is this something that Um, We should be applying for. And at this moment, at this time of the organization, um, we are very lean, and our focus is the U.S. market. Uh, Nguyen, Greentown Labs, Cleantech Open have been the most valuable organizations for us to connect because of the level of Network that they have, the level of expertise that they bring to the table, the number of partners that they have—it uh, is by far one of the, the most valuable um, connections that we have made. So that's hopefully that will answer your question. Yeah,
0: that's Thank awesome. You.
2: Story time. Yeah. What is story time? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so story time is when we ask you about. Um, two really formative stories that you have each experienced in, uh, as an entrepreneur, one of your scariest, oh my god, my startup is collapsing, what am I doing here, (laughs) stories, and conversely, one of your funniest or fun or happiest moments where you really feel it, where you know that this is where I'm meant to be, this is exactly what I want to be doing.
2: It's amazing how much a pressure cooker it is to be in a startup. So people who are under normal work conditions who can deliver and do jobs amazingly and just be a normal person, that that stuff, you know, it's sure. But then when you put that pressure cooker of, of the startup on and what everything means and the risk of, of family and the risk of friends and the risk of all the relationships that you have going with the failure of the company... Um, that really does a number on some people and they become people you didn't think they were. Mm-hmm. And when someone's like that, they, that, that that sort of, um, that they, they feel threatened or they feel whatever it is, there's there's a lot of lashing out that can happen. And and that type of stuff is the type of stuff that I look at and go, yeah, this is really gonna hurt us. This is gonna be, you know, this is gonna be what takes the company out. And, um, and there's a couple of times it's gone that way. And now we're very careful and, and this is, I'm, I mean, for the audience to to learn. That's the thing to watch out for. Even though you might have worked with somebody for a number of years and you think you know them and how they work and how they deliver, a startup is a different beast than anything else. You are putting your family on the line with a startup. You're putting your friends on the line with a startup. When you're committing to that level, you've got got a, a lot of balls in the air. Some people can't handle that.
0: You know, uh, and I understand if you might not want to, but could you give a specific example of that kind of um, someone? I have
2: to be delicate.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Right? And if you don't want to, that's totally fine. I, I, I have
2: that. to be delicate. But, I mean, I, I think the best way to put it is, no, they'll never do that. What? Did they just really do that? Bottom line is, before you, if you haven't got into a startup yet, the thing that you're really going to want to do is make sure that all your legal papers for all your employees account for irrational stuff. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know what? You're going to have to deal with it and and it could potentially take you out. The, um,
3: the way I like to think about it is that having the, the risk of that startup becomes much, much heavier in you. And then you start to look at at things differently and you start to do irrational things. There's a risk to it, and people right. need to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, from my side, um, similar expanding on that on that analogy, uh, I do come from a large organization, secure <laughs> job, right? Yeah. And uh, it, there was a point where, you know, my friends, which. And ex-co-workers, which are in that world, they're saying, "Oh, you're working for a startup. So, uh, what's your salary? Uh, how much vacation do you have? Right? Um, you know, uh, what is your 401k? You know, sick days? Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> none of that stuff is. You know, you're creating this. This is this is you, right? right? So you're putting into it. Um, the 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 moment where I said, uh, I'm okay." I'm okay giving that up. And they're looking at their faces, right? They're looking really weird faces like, what? And I'm like, well, you know, I've been very fortunate to have those, those steady jobs. And I've been able to, uh, you know, save some money. And, and, and now I'm, it's the time for me to use that money on, on this investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I was ready to say, I'm going to use that. And they're like, are you kidding me? That's your retirement. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is my retirement. The startup is their retirement, right? I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. They're not willing to do that. So it takes a, a different type of mindset, but it also takes um, that individual to see it, believe it, have the passion, and jump, fall in, right? Think of you in a cave. Somebody says, jump. You can't see a thing, but you jump anyways. hmm Right? Yeah. And then when you land on a soft pillow, you don't know that, right? And not a soft pillow; it's very, very hard. Very hard. <laughs> yeah, very, hard. <laughs> <laughs> very hard. But uh, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Make sure that you have the safety yes. gear when yeah. you go cave diving. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, yeah, this, this, there was that moment where I, um, I said, "This is it. I'm going. I'm going for it. I don't care what anyone says." I don't care you know, how long it takes, this is what I'm doing. That was a really, really awesome moment for me because it lifted all those worries from my head, from my shoulders, from everything that I was doing. I said, it's going to be okay. You know why? Because I believe in my team and I believe in myself. I believe in the product and we're gonna make this happen. Yeah. Um, you mentioned this company is an international company. We have people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Growing up in Costa Rica, being part of the nature and making sure that we keep that nature as clean as possible is a huge driver. That's where I say, you know, it's not only about, uh, you know, future money potential that a startup could have, which all the startups are looking for, but it's, there's got to be something else that drives you, mm-hmm. right? The fact that we could have a real positive impact in the environment is huge for me, mm-hmm. right? So that... Passion, it helps you through times where the, the, the value of death, uh, you know, times when companies, all companies go through, right? People can jump ship during that time. It's, there are some tough times that you go through. How do you get the, the, the team continually moving? It can't just all be about money, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be something else in there. Uh, so that, but something else is the major impact that we could have you know, from an environmental perspective,
2: absolutely. What about, what about you,
0: Ruben? What drives you?
2: What drives me? Not the environment, no. Um, the reason why I'll say not the environment is because I have to. And one of the things we try to do is, is, is talk about where our technology fits because, I mean, in your homes, you've got hundreds of feet of pipe that's a half-inch thick, you know what I mean? And it's delivering the water from that meter in your basement or wherever it might be in your, your condo all the way up to your tap. And over there, they're talking about, well, how can we reduce water loss? Let's put a smart meter here. Let's do a flow reduction shower head. Let's do toilets with a smaller flush, whatever it is, and put meters here, 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 and stop all that water loss. And we're like, wait a second. What about the big problem? That's the problem that's in the house. But the bigger problem happens from the Quadman Reservoir, which is hundreds of miles away. Hundreds? Yeah, kind of, almost 70, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> thousands of miles away, <laughs> right? Thousands of inches at least um, that, that, that are coming and, and going through pipes that are massive compared to, to we could put watermelons through those pipes. And, and the thing that's funny to us is in an EPA report that came out some years ago, uh, they rated Boston between 2001 and 2007 uh, of, of having a 50% uh, non-revenue water uh, rate. Non-revenue water is the water that is that leaves the reservoir but doesn't make it to the meter. It leaked out along the way. Yeah. That's half. Forget about the little tiny shaving percentages we're trying to do at home. We're ignoring the big infrastructure problem that... It doesn't matter what it is. You put in new infrastructure. New infrastructure still has the same problem. 70% of all leaks happen at the joint seal sites on piping systems. If you don't address those, you're going to still put in systems that are designed to give you that non-revenue water rate. So for us, uh, having that type of of environmental impact, we know is huge. But getting somebody to understand it, that's the challenge.
0: And I'd say hearing you talk what motivates you is that that problem, like identifying the big problem, the real problem, and coming up with creative solutions to solve it, that's something you touched on a little earlier I, I think
2: motivating people, yeah I I think, well, I think as a CEO you've got to have too much like excitement and enthusiasm and drive, because everybody around you is going to suck it off of you, mm-hmm. right. And so you have to have reserves. I and mean, one of the things that keeps me up there is if I can keep my guys motivated and see that, that passion in their eyes, that's a real driver for me. Yeah, cool. Mm.
1: So I have a business question. Um, so you talked about a lot about how you like being in Boston um, and the water problems in Boston, but clearly there are also water problems in other parts of the U.S. Um, and... Namely, California. Mm-hmm. Um, would would you are is that one avenue that you're looking more into? Is addressing uh, you're implementing proper pipe in California water supplies, and helping them address their drought crises, or are you mostly focused on updating Boston from the past century and getting rid of those wood pipes?
2: Well, well the, the, the objective is to, to hit everywhere, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. w- what's this? Think big or go home, right? Isn't that the, the concept, right? But uh, it comes back down to, to, to Nguyen and MassCEC and the, the water technology cluster here that's, that's been phenomenal.
3: One of the things that we found in Boston, and in particular uh, Nguyen, is the people here, the experts, right? Nguyen, for example, was able to put a, an event together to bring businesses, uh, startups, established businesses, academia, right, um, all oh, government as well, all together into a single event where people bringing up uh, or brainstorming ideas in how to change the status quo and create innovative solutions, that can resolve the bigger issues that we're having today, like non-revenue water. So that type of activity is very hard to find in other areas of the country, never mind the world. That's one of the reasons why we're here, because we have access to those innovative individuals, those test beds. The mentality in this
2: area is very open. Greentown Labs, we're here now. Greentown Labs is connected to this network as well. Which, which you guys know. Uh, for, I don't know who's, who knows about this podcast, but they're listening to, it, to it's being recorded at Greentown Labs, just a stone's throw from Harvard University. And these guys are wired into the network as well.
3: Right. In California, yes, there is a water issue, but uh, Silicon Valley, they're focused on other innovations. Mm-hmm. We feel that because we are connected with the water network, this is the best place for us to be.
1: A lot of your advice uh, has for starting a startup and being an entrepreneur um, in the startup world has been for um, people who have gotten used to having those regular paychecks and that safety net. Um, do you have any advice for somebody just out of college or somebody like me who my whole experience has been in startups and what if I want to make my own startup? Um, I've personally never had a 401k, and <laughs> still I'm struggling to figure everything else out in terms of financial th- bits, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, uh, students um, as well, feel the same. Um, and if somebody likes me has that kind of passion, uh, what do you suggest doing with it?
2: Don't lose a passion. That's the first part, because what's going to happen is you're going to fail. Well, you might fail. I'm, I'm, everyone's going to fail. Don't even try. Um, uh, you're going to fail at a lot of things in life. We all have. I mean, that's, you know, right now I'm, I'm 41 going on 42. Abel, he looks a nice spry 33. He doesn't have a gray hair on his head. I think it's just for men. Call me crazy. Um, but Abel's quite older than that. He's, 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 he's near up to 40. Um, nevertheless, um, we've, we've had a lot of failures in our life. Um, and we've learned from them. And one of the things that's funny about starting a startup this late in life is you've already got committed relationships. Uh, I've got a wife, I've got children, um, and having having to put them along uh, the, the sacrifice block with everything else, that's a whole layer of complexity. So if you're coming just out of school and you've got passion and determination, you're gonna go in there without having that extra lag on you. You're able to throw so much more and learn from that experience the most so that later in the line, when when you're on your third attempt at a startup or your fourth attempt at a startup, you've learned all the hard lessons you've needed to learn with as minimal collateral damage as possible because there is collateral damage. I I don't get to see my kids as often as I would like to. Uh, I see them, they're my kids, you know what I mean? That's what it is. But when I've got to go to a business trip in London or I got to fly out to the States or elsewhere, I've got to kiss the kids goodbye, and they're four or five years old. It's it's starting to wear on them. They're starting to realize that what you know, when I'm gone, I'm actually gone, and that's a tough thing. And I want to get, I want to get to the, the company to the point where uh, I can minimize that collateral damage myself. But if, if we did this, if we did this straight out of school, one, we'd be messing it up left, right, and center. Yeah. Right. That's that's <laughs> for sure. That's for sure. But we would have learned and we would have done the least damage. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely. And hang on to that passion because when you get to to that next – because, you know, you get an idea and you go, oh, that didn't work. Oh, well, you know, there will be more ideas. There will always be business opportunities. There are – However many millions of businesses in this world and how many of them are just fleeting and how many of them are still coming up and some of them are still going to, that will be created tomorrow, that will be giants. So there will still always be the opportunity to be an entrepreneur, to be an innovator, all that stuff. Just, you know, go through the lessons and learn now uh, out of school. So let me give you an example uh, that actually happened to me.
3: I uh, drive Uber every now and then. It's a very flexible job. I'm an entrepreneur. I need money. I drive. I also do it because I'm an individual that likes efficiency. And I said, if I'm going into Boston and I'm going back home, there's no reason why my car should be 75% empty. Right? So I turn on Uber and say, I can pick up somebody and be conscious about the environment to use my car in a different way. Right? So one of those times, I picked up uh, three individuals, young individuals, that had just graduated from MIT. Uh, they were you know, discussing some technology and the fact that they wanted to go to some trade show. And they were de- debating what date that trade show was going to happen. And I told them, it's actually this date. I jumped in, as a Uber driver usually does, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it's this date. And they're like, well, how do you know? And I said, well, actually. My company is going to be speaking at that trade show, and they were really, really surprised, right? The fact that this very well-known trade show uh, and this guy driving Uber was his startup company was actually going to be one of the speakers there. Mm-hmm. And so we started talking, and he says, "Well, you know, we're we're trying to start up something. What do you, your suggestions do you have?" I go, "Hey, look at me. I'm driving Uber, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing whatever I can." To make sure that I move forward in, on, on the startup, uh, so you have to do whatever is possible. But passion, number one, and then two, you have the ability to minimize cost when you're single, right? When you're starting out of college, you you're you were in college just a few days, uh, years ago, right? You know how to live in a tight budget. That is an incredible, incredible good skill to have when you have a startup, you know. Use relationships. Use your friends. Use your family. Use use the people that you know. Um, they, they they ask. He goes. Oh, I said I'm living out of my 401k, right? Because I believe in this. And like, well, I don't have a 401k. What can I do? So find a flexible job that keeps you afloat, you know, until you find some investors or people that are willing to invest in your uh, in your business or or idea, in order to move forward little by little. Hey, you may you may fail. You may not. But you're gonna learn, and you're gonna You know, do this again and then you'll be much smarter and things will just progress a lot faster, you know, the second time around, the third time around because of that knowledge. Cool. All right. Chloe, you want to take us away then? Yeah. Take us away, Chloe. All
1: right. Well, thank you very much for listening and thank you to both Abel and Ruben for joining us. In the show notes, you will find more information on Proper Pipe and their links to their Twitter account as well as their website. Um, If you would like to support the show, please tell a friend, tweet about us, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, visit our website at talkcleanpodcast.com, follow us on Twitter and Insta at talkcleanpod, Um, and listening in the far future, give us a review, Um, download the show on iTunes. And it was my job to come up with a challenge, but I did not. Okay, (laughs) so
0: if you um, go to this show and you give us a five-star review, instead of reviewing the show, because that's boring, uh, if you want to, you can challenge me to something you think you can do better than me in under 30 seconds. So stacking cups or something you can do the most of in 30 seconds, you can challenge Chloe and I to uh whatever this thing this weird thing that you're good at
1: post the video on insta
0: yeah Tag um, us. you can you can post it on uh, instagram and if you do um we'll uh, yeah we'll uh we'll take the challenge and we'll post it to instagram and you'll see if we were actually better than you at that certain thing so it sounds like fun yeah please do so give us the five stars uh you know make the challenge uh, thank you very much to you guys for coming in and uh, thanks for listening everyone <laughs>
2: Parappa the Rapper, stage one, uh, for those who are curious. The original rhythm game. The original rhythm game. Nice. And that shall now uh, not bother us. (laughs) Sorry, turn off that PlayStation. What's the matter with you?